Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Narrowgate Podcast. My name is Benjamin Hoover, licensed marriage and family therapist out of Roseville, California. And this is the third episode of my podcast. And uh, this one's this one's kind of a doozy, uh, in a good way. Let's just say, I don't know if you listen or you read... Uh, what I write and post, um, not sure where you stand in terms of um, kind of where you're connected to in life, faith-wise, um, the source of, of that, but uh, but obviously there's there's going to be a lot of talk about faith in here. I hope that for those of you that, that maybe don't believe, that maybe you kind of hold on and see maybe the, the fruit in this, no pun intended, because this is actually talking about... Um, something in Genesis. Anyway, um, but, but let me kind of get real. This might sound weird to some, but I mean, this has been quite a week for me. Um, actually with a lot of, lot of insight, a lot of uh, awareness, revelation, however you want to, the eyes of my heart open. I mean, it's all kind of saying the same thing. Um, the best way I can describe it is, <laughs> is, um, it, this is cheesy, but like those those romantic movies where like the two lovers or they're not yet lovers, but they they meet and they maybe kiss, and it's almost kind of like fantastical and musical ish, and uh, and they they kind of lock eyes and they kiss and whatnot, and then they go into their little musical song and dance number, and they're you know in the clouds and cartoon birds and butterflies and flowers or flying or sprouting up everywhere. Um, but they have this, like, almost this excitement, this exuberance, this aliveness, like they've woken up, right? Um, that's how I felt this week in my relationship with God. In fact, um, I've basically been writing nonstop, and there's going to be a lot of things I'm going to be talking about, particularly camping out of Genesis. Um, and then and then I'm actually going to... Uh, really unravel a lot of the symptoms that we wrestle with. And I, I want to actually um, go to the origin of them because the reality is, is um, we, we all wrestle with some kind of symptom um, and it really is relational. Um, all of it's almost relational, uh, except for maybe some of the organic um, disorders out there. But, uh, but I really want to emphasize that because I really want that to paint hope for people and, uh, so, um, anyway, but yeah, let's just say that this week has been filled with a lot of tears, like, like just being moved, um, feeling no shame, uh, no judgment, um, feeling very connected to God, very secure. In fact, this is probably the most secure I've ever felt. Um, I've had random, um, breakout, uh, dance parties <laughs> by myself where I'm not putting on some instrumental music and, you know, some of my little, you know, eccentric indie little dance music and, and literally just dancing out of joy and excitement. I mean, I just, this, this is something I've never really experienced. Um, actually never, I've never experienced it, but just, uh, just so moved and seeing life in a whole different light. Uh, and I'm really grateful for that. I'm, I'm really thankful um, but it's kind of like one of those things where I'm like, I'm so in love. I can, I can fly sort of thing. I can heal people. 
And I think eventually maybe that'll happen. I, I don't know about the flying thing, but anyway, um, so, so it's been quite a journey for me and I think maybe I'll share that another time. But, um, but what I, what I wanted to talk about, um, was, uh, was, uh, part of the story of Adam and Eve in Genesis. And this is in chapter three. I don't quote scripture verbatim. So for some of you that kind of cling on to every word, which is obviously important, um, I don't do that. So, uh, so, you know, take it as you will. But, uh, but what I really want to kind of highlight is, uh, one, um, this kind of skewed lens that maybe I've looked at, or maybe a portion of us or most of us have, uh, at the story, which is kind of a, kind of a distorted, foggy view. But as I actually look over it again and again, um, I start to see the, the heart of the story with greater clarity. Um, and I'm very moved by it. And, and in fact, I see my own story, my own narrative imbued in that. Um, because really all it's doing is reflecting each and every one of our own stories. Uh, when it comes to life, um, actions, decisions, emotions, meeting needs, um, and our, and our connection or disconnection with God. And so, um, so I'm really going to be kind of focusing on this today and then, um, couple, couple more episodes. Uh, but, but I want to, and the other thing too, is I really wanted to uh, reframe sin. Um, I really don't like that word. So, um, again, this might all kind of be heretical to some of you, but you know what? I'm okay with that. Um, I'm okay with kind of stirring the pot there. So I think we need to be challenged in our belief system and feel lost and get confused and a little stuck. And it's actually necessary for, um, for, uh, for living like fully. So the first thing I kind of want to start out with is, is, is this tree, right? So the tree is the, it's the, there's two trees, the tree of life. Um, but there's also the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, uh, and so God placed this, this tree in the garden and, um, you know, so he creates man and woman, we call them Adam and Eve, male, female, and, uh, and then like blesses them with just every kind of fruit, maybe vegetable, I don't know, whatever, just surrounds them with it. And, uh, and, and, and says that they can eat every single, uh, like they can, they can, basically indulge in anything in this garden. Um, but, but, but explicitly says, but you cannot eat from this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Right. So, you know, like curiosity is a good thing, right? Like we need to ask questions because if we just take it for, you know, just point blank and what it says without actually chewing on it, um, I, I think we, we stay kind of naive. We stay clouded in our understanding. Um, so I love that people are hungry and, and explore. And, and I mean, that's how you get people that are experts in their fields. They, uh, they have a curiosity and there's no shame in it. Um, uh, so, so I love that. So anyway, so I'm asking these questions of, you know, what is this tree about? Um, why would it even be put there? Uh, you know, I mean, what, what is the point? And, you know, is God kind of playing some, some game, you know, we often kind of project on a God, like maybe he's, you know, he's tormenting, he's, you know, like, like one of those parents just teaching kind of a harsh lesson. And, and I, I think it's, it's really 
such a different look at it. Um, so here's my thoughts on that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We'll kind of talk about um, why it's even called the knowledge of good and evil. But but the tree in of itself actually represents something very powerful. Um, it represents uh, a, a lack that Adam and Eve have within, that hu humanity has within. And when I say lack, I mean there's something missing that they're hungry for um, that they have uh, uh, yet to be to be um, satisfied, nourished with. Because um, if you think about it, we all have needs, like physically, relationally, um, sexually, which is still relationally, um, you know, biologically, I said that, physically. Um, um, I'm blanking out here. But anyway, uh, so anyway, we're, we're, we're stocked with these needs, right? And a need means is that we, that we kind of lack within, and, and we need that. We need to be nourished in that. And so, so it represents lack. It represents trust, mystery, security, wholeness, satisfaction. When I say security, I mean actually security is rooted in relationship. So, uh, so I'm not talking about that you, you have written like financial riches, but, but a security is actually rooted in a very trusting relationship. Um, wholeness, satisfaction, fullness, awareness. Um, connection, intimacy, that's, that's what the tree represents. So, um, so, so that's, that's what I, I see it as, as kind of holding within itself. Um, uh, but, but then it kind of begs like, why, why would the tree even be there? Um, because we can look at that tree as a restriction, right? Like, don't do that. Um, but actually, I see it very differently in the sense of um, it's actually meant to uh, bring awareness to, to abundance around and fullness. So the restriction, what we see as a negative thing, is actually very life-giving. Um, and so, but at the same time, when God explicitly says, don't eat of the fruit of this tree and unambiguously gives the, the consequence to it. Like he said, you're going to die. Um, which obviously includes physical, but it's it, but that's just really a portion of it. It's actually um, relational, really, and and um, soul soul wise. So it, um, so anyway, but but what if you know the question that I'm asking too is what if that tree was actually meant to bring awareness and separateness. And the separateness is actually a necessary thing. It's a part of awareness. It's a part of developing understanding of life. Um, uh, it's it's it, that clarity is um, having awareness is actually a beautiful thing um, because we can partake and indulge in life and the riches of it and and be aware of it, be a part of it, um, and uh, and and notice it and know it. Um, no other animal has that capability. So, um, so, and, and, and what if like maybe the purpose was to invite humanity into this mystery, right? Like you don't know what I'm going to provide for you. You don't know what's going to unravel. We're scared of mystery because we, we've been so hurt and, and, and we've felt pains of various kinds, but very much relationally. So like mystery, like mystery for me, oh my gosh, it would be stomach churning for me. Like just not knowing, um, I would just freak out. Just total anxiety, shut down, not present, in my head, uh, um, cyclical thoughts that don't get anywhere. So anyway, those are kind of things that I'm asking. So 
so then we're looking at kind of God, we call it, I call it like the forbidden or, or there's, they call it, some people call it prohibition, right? Don't, don't eat of this. Um, don't do this. So let's break this down for a second. Um, wholeness and security in life is, is actually experienced relationally. So when a child, uh, when we talk about security um, in like the parent-child relationship, the child feels, feels complete trust and confidence that the parent sees them, knows them, loves them, uh, meets their needs. And, uh, and so when that happens, like the child, um, the child just operates with confidence in life to explore, uh, to, to, to discover, to be curious. And then they can run to their parent to be seen, to be, to be cared for, to be nurtured, um, you know, to, to have, to be spent time with. So, uh, and so when we encounter that kind of love through like compassion and care, um, our needs are met, we feel connected and satisfied. Um, there are literally chemicals in our brain that are released, uh, serotonin. Those are, those are, uh, linked to satisfaction. So there comes pleasure and then there comes satisfaction. And I'll talk about that down the road about addiction and how addiction is really about feeling satisfied and, and connected. Um, and that it's, we think it's just chasing the pleasure, but it's actually what the pleasure provides, which is satisfaction. So when we feel satisfied, we feel a sense of completeness and wholeness. All is right in the world, right? And actually we don't feel afraid. So when people actually orgasm, um, and they experience that, that release of, um, uh, oh man, I can't even think of it. Um, endogenous opioids, I think. Um, these, these really intense pleasure chemicals in the brain, like they're so just even in that brief moment, they're, they're, they're so caught up in the pleasure that there's no fear. And then even afterwards, there's the satisfaction, um, these bonding chemicals are released and, and, and the person is just relishing the satisfaction. There's no fear. So think about that just relationally as a whole and in life. Um, so we're actually at peace when that happens. And so when we have this pleasurable and satisfying experience, we can't help but then invite others into this. So that's kind of a breakdown of that. Um, so, so basically with the tree, um, what that represented was, or, or, uh, what that kind of brought out in Adam and Eve um, was that there was this need. That it was a need unfulfilled. Um, because it, it, it elicited curiosity, but then, but then it also elicited desire as well. And so desire is to want, and so to want means that we don't have or not have yet accessed within us. And so, um, and so this is what the tree brought up. So, um, but what's also kind of interesting, actually, you know what? I think I'm farther ahead than I wanted to be. So let's go back. <laughs> anyway, uh, so, so let's see, how do I backtrack here? Um, so I'm talking about wholeness and security, right? And how it leads to peace and pleasure and all that. Um, but, but if these needs have not been met and we feel the lack of them, uh, it's, it's signaling to us that nourishment is needed. 
Um, but to add more of what if we incorporate, like, we don't even know how they're going to get met. Like, there's no certainty. You just feel something, but and you don't know how it's going to be provided, right? Like, um, a lot of us are pretty, some of us are pretty well off. So financially, like, we have those things met. And I think when Jesus is talking about it's it's hard for the, for the rich to enter into the kingdom, um, it's, it's, uh, it, it's because, like, they can just so quickly meet that lack, um, but that actually they're covering that lack that's that's actually needed to experience greater life. Um, so anyway, so those that are poor, and I don't just mean financially, but those that are in a spiritual, emotional, being state of, of poverty uh, are actually in this place of experiencing this need and not knowing how it's going to be met. So... Um, so anyway, it's signaled to them that there's this need that needs to be nourished. But here's kind of a head-scratcher. It says that Adam walked with God in the garden. And I'm assuming that Eve, when she came to the picture. Um, so they're in this, like, blessed r- relationship. They're, they're with God. Then they can eat anything in the garden, except for that that one frickin' tree there. Um, and... And it's, but yet that one tree is so nagging, it's unrelenting. And, um, but, but one can actually interpret this walking as oneness. So it's, uh, in, um, object relations or it's not object relations, but, uh, like attachment theory or psychodynamic, uh, theory, um, within psychology, they call this the symbiotic relationship. This is when a child is in that infant state. There's no separation. The child doesn't have any consciousness. Um, the child and mom are one, uh, you know, nourished, uh, nurtured by mom, infant suckling at the breast, the source of satisfaction, um, you know, the infant's all, all is right in the world when, when he or she gets their needs met. Um, so, you know, who would want to veer from this, right? Like Adam and Eve, I mean, they got the hookup. They're, they're set up pretty well. <laughs> VIP access here. But... Um, but what's interesting is, is they, they, they still felt this lack. They still veered. Um, and so, so anyway, so what happened then is that, uh, the tree was presented before them. They told them they couldn't eat. And then they got curious, right? And then that curiosity led to desire, right? Then they began to kind of fascinate on it, fixate on it, um, and and what's interesting though is is uh i think like the fact that they still lacked and yet they had this oneness this is very important to understand um the reason why is they hadn't actually developed awareness yet they didn't see so linking it back to that child parent relationship when they're in infancy the the child has no awareness it doesn't develop until like you know, maybe one and a half to where they start to kind of develop a, a, a separate self there. And, uh, they, they're, they're now created, it's the birth of kind of this individual individuation differentiation, I guess. So Adam and Eve actually were not aware, I think of God, of, uh, of what they had. So, and that awareness is important, right? And so that's important to pay attention to that, uh, you know, how does one even acquire awareness? 
so, but they weren't, they didn't, they weren't conscious of the fact that they were actually connected to the life source. So this lack comes up, this, uh, this, this desire comes up, right? And, uh, and so, so, and they, it says that they, or the serpent says in the, in the story there that, um, like, come on, you're, you're really actually like, like God says that, that you're going to die, but like, you're just going to, you're going to become like God. Right. So, but I like what Peter Rowland says. Um, he's a awesome upside down kind of theologian. Probably people would call him heretical, but he says that God is the one who lacks the lack. Uh, I love his, his phrasing, <laughs> but, um, in other words, like God is whole and complete. He is life. He is the source of aliveness. And because God in himself is whole and complete, you know, radiating this, this love, this fullness, this aliveness, he, he naturally wants to pour this into his creation. So, um, so the want that came up in Adam and Eve spoke to the fact that they were incomplete and they were unaware of this, um, until they feasted on that, which was outlawed. And if you think about it, actually wholeness and completeness is experienced really in living in a state of being and being together. But you can only really experience and indulge in that when you're a separate self. You're not bled in, enmeshed with the other person. So, um, so really what they felt was this desire um, to, to be whole, full, and alive. People want to think like, well, to be in control and power. No, it's control really just rooted in, in a fear-driven desire for security, right? Um, so it really was to, to be whole, to be complete, to feel alive. Um, so what happened then is, is this need came up, it signaled for nourishment, and, uh, and, and yet it was off limits and they didn't even know why. And then they began to, to fixate on it. And then it like started to doubt and question God's intentions. And I think actually feared, I think there was maybe some fear that happened before that. And they began to doubt and question God's intentions. Cause if you think about it, actually we get afraid first and then we get in our heads and start coming up with theories and assumptions. And, um, and so, you know, they started to see, well, wait a minute, like, this is like, this is this is good. It's beautiful. Um, you know, like, dude, this is probably going to, this is going to meet it. Um, we've hit the jackpot, but what happened is they actually turned that desire, which actually was healthy. That, that actually was a healthy thing to experience that desire. It, it actually turned into fixation and then obsession. Um, and, and if you actually connect it to yourself, personally, um, think about it. Like the more something's forbidden, like, oh, we can't have that. The more we want it. Um, it's just natural. Like the more something is distant and given kind of this prohibition, which I think is just kind of a way of distancing. Um, we want it, we become preoccupied over it. Uh, and then it elicits this, this even greater intensity to turn towards it. So the obsession, then this fixation actually increased the beauty of the fruit um, it, it augmented it, it's perceived pleasure and attractiveness. I mean, think about it, like the more you fixate on something, the more it becomes desirable, the more we want to consume it. Um, it, it, it enters in this place of lust. So, um, but, but what's also kind of, uh, um, a fascinating note here is that in the midst of fixating on it, 
the, the it obscured the invitation into abundance and the beauty surrounding them. They had this invitation to actually eat everything else in the garden, like everything else except for that one thing, right? Fascinating, right? Like almost like everything is provided except this one thing is off limits. And so what it did is it it obscured uh, it obscured that abundance that was right there, like ninety nine percent of it, maybe even higher than that. Um, they had to know why. They had to know why it was so illicit, um, and I think hoping to meet that need. So uh, where are we at here? Um, so. And this also, if you think about this, actually happens with addictions or compulsive attachments, which is my own language for addiction. Um, I prefer compulsive attachment because attachment is relationally based, and that's what addictions are. Um, but if you think about, like, we we fixate on on that desired object, uh, and yet at the same time conflicted. And the confliction is is because we judge it like it's wrong. It's wrong. It's we think of all these things of how it's going to destroy us, and you know, and then you know we feel shame about it, and then it just drives us even like the more we put distance to it, like then we want it more, and you know, it's this crazy little internal um, tormenting world that happens. Um, but there's also it, what's driving us too, um, aside from all those internal mechanics, is also this hope for for wholeness. So, what I also believe is that eating the fruit was actually necessary. So, um, mystery, first of all, is important. It's a, it's a wonderful, necessary, integral part of life. Um, it's mysterious for a reason, or the fruit was mysterious for a reason. Um, God is mysterious in his nature. So, so often, we don't even realize we're doing this, but we're, a lot of Christians um, still are demystifying God. There's the demystifying life, creating formulas, thinking God's a certain way. They're just projecting, and they're actually missing that He's mysterious. And actually, then they're also missing the fact that um, His presence is imprinted in everything in this world. Um, and and once you actually experience life and come alive, you start to see the world shaped very, very differently. Um, that's what I've gone through this week, and it's. It's overwhelming, and it's abundant, and it's really, really fun and enjoyable, <laughs> but it's hard to contain. Anyway, so, so, but God is mysterious in his nature for a reason, because we're actually meant to step into mystery. Uh, knowing, if you think about actual knowing, I'm not talking about like an intellectual fact-based information, whatever. I'm talking about like a, like a life knowing, a heart knowing is actually a deep, it's deep. It, it, it's, uh, it's, um, stored in the heart and it comes through experience we only we know and things stay implanted in us because we experience it um, that's why I think even schools I wish that they would have more experiential learning because that's how we actually learn a lot I mean there are those anomalies in life where they can just read a book and you know know every word on the page but, but, but for the majority of us like maybe 99% of us uh, we're, we learn through experience. Um, in fact, our belief system actually stems from experience. And I'll, you know, touch on that down the road. Um, but this uncertainty or mystery calls us to venture into it, exploring, beckoning, um, to, to, so we can grow, so we can actually become. And God invites us into this, that he actually might surprise us with um, what he knows we fully need. 
this is actual adventure. This is actual life living. Um, to go back to the surprise element, uh, do you know that, uh, in, and I'm speaking from personal experience because I struggled with pornography um, in the sense of like I was really compulsively attached to it. And, uh, and, and, but with any kind of addiction, there's always this hunt for, for the novel. Um, because the novel is what's exciting. It's what gives pleasure. And, um, and I would, like, I would, I would spend, you know, sometimes hours when I was a teenager, like hours searching for that picture or whatever. And, uh, and, and it was looking for the novel. And, and so the novel is actually really important in life. Um, and, and the novel is actually a part of mystery. It's going into the unknown, experiencing something you've never experienced, and, and, it, and it's shaping and being a part of, of who we are. Um, but, it's, but if you notice, like, in, those, in those other ways of trying to meet that lack on our own, we're, we're, we're still actually trying to recreate what we're meant to experience, but not down that road. We're meant to experience actually connected with God. So, um, so I believe we're actually, we were actually meant to partake of the fruit. You know, we want to call sinners and everything like that, but I think it was actually necessary. Um, you know, and it could, you know, people could probably argue with that, but if you think about it, consciousness actually came as a result of the choice. Um, I'm going to touch on shame and everything in the next podcast, but, uh, but, but all of a sudden they became aware, right? So the paradox here is we actually aren't aware until we move towards that which brings awareness and the fruit brought awareness. You don't know. You're not aware. Like, you know, I could talk all about my dating experiences, which actually I did in the first podcast, but I became more aware and grew as I stepped into the unknown. So I had to risk. Like, I, I couldn't sort it out, map it out, figure it out. I just, I had to go through it to learn, to develop, to grow, to transform, to evolve. Um, and so anyway, so, um, so the separation happened and it was a necessary one. It, the oneness bubble popped, right? Like it even says that they heard God and hid. So that's fascinating. Like all of a sudden they became aware of God. Like he, be, he was a separate being. And, um, and so, uh, but that separateness is so vital, so important, um, most of us are trying to get back to that oneness in relationships, but once we actually stop trying, we accept who we are, we love and care deeply for who we are, we become more aware of who we are, um, and, we, and it actually helps us become more aware of another person, and we stop trying to manipulate to get our needs met, to go back to that oneness, and it creates this really satisfying experience that we can delight in being together. Um, so, uh, and, and we can vulnerably share together in our humanness and invite others into this experience collectively. We stop tri- striving, um, fearfully operating to get wants met. Um, we begin to actually delight in and experience, value the differences in one another. And that actually shapes us and brings vibrancy. So, um, but, but just like God, when we reduce a person down to like certain attributes, we take away the mystery of them, the mystery of us, the mystery that's essential in relational living. So, um, so actually eating the fruit, uh, whatever fruit you want to call that to be in your life, um, which brings up shame, uh, if we actually work through that judgment, we start to learn what it's teaching us, what we're really longing for. 
Because the deepest desire in all of us is to be harmoniously bonded with God and to indulge, to be in present living and indulge in the pleasures of intimacy with Him. We're actually created to indulge in life, to, to, to relish in pleasure. That's, that's, you know, it's not this um, chastity thing where we have to shut down our feelings and, and pleasure and, you know, and, and live this chaste life and, you know, and clasp our hands and utter the same mantras to God all the time. No, it's actually meant, we're meant to live and thrive and enjoy and be excited. And again, children teach us that. Like, all we have to do is look at children to teach us about life and how we are meant to live. Um, but, but, uh, but those, those steps that we take on our own, um, it, it, through our own understanding, um, it's important because we become aware of our limitedness and meeting it and our innate desires when we're given the freedom to attempt to meet them ourselves. Um, we become aware, uh, more mindful of what our needs are, what our desires are. And it's a necessary part in developing awareness of God being the source of life. Um, so think about this too. When a child crosses into the forbidden, established by their parents, like don't do that, don't um, don't touch the burner, don't um, you know, don't throw the TV remote, whatever it is. Um, actually, the parent, if they're doing it in a loving way, is giving kind of um, is also going to give consequences out of love to teach the child that such boundaries are in place for protection. And to fully enjoy life. I mean, think about it. Like, if a parent says to a child, you're going to get burned if you touch that flame, and the child does, like, yeah, the child learns. But there's also a part in this where the parent still cares for the child when they cry and wail in, in anger and pain for, for touching that flame. But the child also learns, like, yeah, when I touch that flame, it's really painful. And so... I don't want to carry that kind of pain in life. <laughs> I'd rather enjoy life. And so, but the, it's an important experience for the child to learn. Otherwise, they don't learn it. Uh, they don't become aware of it. So the parent, though, also, the parent, you know, the child might feel shame. Um, but the parent safely draws the child out of that shame and models to them a healthy humanity and teaches them how to express and care for their needs in a way that brings life. That's the point. The parent loves the child and draws them out of that place where they want to hide and pull away. Um, and so I think when, when Jesus came, he modeled how to authentically live life connected to God. Um, so, so often we're, I think we're, a lot of Christians are like, I don't know what God's saying and, you know, asking him for everything and, and, you know, and that's okay to like, but there's kind of this anxious living in that. Like there isn't this freedom to just be and indulge in life and that, and trusting too, that when he like, you know, throws on the turn signal that we go where the turn signal is leading us. But, but we're kind of waiting every minute of, okay, now, okay, now as if God's this micromanaging hovering parent, I don't think he is. So, um, so anyway, so we needed this modeling from Jesus um, because we didn't yet hold this experience internally. We all have been buried in shame and judgment. So we haven't had this awareness of what it looks like to actually live life fully. Um, it, it, it wasn't held within internally for us. Um, and so I think this was such a purposeful and planned decision for God to come down and reveal a life we weren't yet conscious of. So uh, that's my take on... on um, 
kind of the tree and the fruit. But the thing I also wanted to end on was um, I wanted to reframe sin. I loathe, I hate that word sin or sinner, right? And it's in the Bible, so I should accept it. Well, the thing is, is it's really kind of been skewed um, in terms of how, how we've used it, how we've operated with it, calling people a sinner or sin or we're sinners, you know, or, or we're, I don't know, what's the little phrase of um, we're sinners who, I don't remember. Anyway, not going to go down that path, but I just have wrestled with using that word. So, uh, and it's not because like I don't want to look at myself, I don't want to address those things, um, but there's something about that term that just has had so much judgment saturated in it. And um, But I do believe that the judgment actually uh, is not because of that term, but because of our the judgment that we carry internally and our understanding usage of it. So, and the fact that, like, some use that as a diagnostic and a label and to point out, like, call out people in a really condemning way, like, you're sinning, which, by the way, doesn't, doesn't do a lick of good. Um, just labeling something a sin, uh, yeah, that tends to create a lot more defense. And, uh, anyway, so, um, but I think, like, the way we've understood and operated by its definition or its skew definition has given us this kind of assumed license to just shine the the law enforcement mag light on people condemningly. Um, But I think addressing sin has been a really shallow function. Um, When we actually understand it in our own hearts and its significance, uh, then our approach may take a turn that I think would be very substantial, very impactful to people around us, including ourselves. Um... So the story of Adam and Eve obviously clearly defines sin. Um, Really, what it was, if we look at when they ate the fruit, like they took a shot on their own volition um, to try to meet a very important need, the need for aliveness, for connection, fullness, whatever. Um, But the behavior always points back to the emotion, and then the emotion always points back to the need within. So we've got a need, and we've got a feeling attached to that need, and then then it primes us um, behaviorally to try to meet that need. So, uh, and, and then also, too, on a side note, like, what's fascinating to me is how much, especially in the Christian community, which is changing, which is so cool, is that emotions have gotten a really bad rep when they are a vital part of living and connecting and understanding life, especially ourselves. And if and I will, I'm actually going to break down a lot of um, mental disorders, quote-unquote, that they're, they're a lot of it is because it's been buried emotion, particularly anger. And so, but experiencing anger, or any kind of emotion really, but particularly even anger, is such a vital part of, of connecting and, and being connected in life. Um, but anyway, back to the sin thing. So, so how does one determine sin? Well, by understanding shame. And when you understand shame, um, you understand how it shapes us and disorders life especially the human heart. People stay in these hidden places. Have you ever had kind of this visceral reaction to people? I'm not even talking about like when it goes into the thoughts and judgment, but like there's something viscerally that, that's off for you and you don't even know how to, like, you don't even know what's going on, but the way this person operates in life like is just throwing you off. Um, their personality, um, maybe the person's like gloating about himself and and um just kind of boasting a lot and and we just have this visceral reaction of oh i 
that doesn't draw me near this person. Like, it's not attractive. Um, that person is in a lot of shame. And, and, and so, and what they're doing actually is they're trying to be seen. It's their warped way of saying, I want to be seen. I want to be known. Um, unfortunately it does the exact opposite. It repels people. Um, but that's, that's a clear experience of someone operating out of shame and in hiddenness. So you see it really in full operation. Um, you know, beauty and strength being manipulated externally, men with strength, women with kind of the beautiful part. Um, you see it in pride and arrogance, destruction, violence, impulsive decisions, racism. Um, all of that is connected to shame, and it's connected to a deep sense of self-hatred. Uh, and so what this also does is, and what we can notice too, is that it explicitly is revealed in disconnection, so people pulling away from themselves and from others in life, and then our frantic temp attempts to, re to create reconnection. So we are meant to be connected. So we're actually, in everything we're doing, we're trying to connect. We're trying to reconnect. So this is how I've coined sin. Sin is the action. I'm going to read this. Sin is the action that stems out of trying to nourish the lack within. And it is an attempt to meet our indissolu indissoluble human needs insufficiently. That our attempts are birthed out of fear, which leads to obsession, followed by an impulsive decision. It's a search, though, for wholeness, completeness, security, fullness, and satisfaction, all of which we were intended to have, yet cannot self-produce. So we are actually, we, I say actually a lot, um, and now that I point that out, now everybody's probably going to be aware of that, but we, uh, we, um, we have these signals that tells us we have, we have needs that are... Uh, required to be met and so we're really just responding on our own to try to meet that and we we just we miss it we we it doesn't work out um it it actually leads to more disconnection and people maybe pull away uh or we operate in control to try to keep a person close um which is like domestic violence uh, actually, that comes out of a lot of insecurity on both ends, particularly though the perpetrator of domestic violence has a very secure internal world, uh, and that they use that to actually try to keep the person close. Um, it's done, obviously, very destructively, and it's obviously not okay in the, the sense that it's destructive and not life-giving, um, but that's where they're coming from. So they're trying to meet that need for closeness and connection. So anyway, but we have these needs that don't go away, and, and, and so the more we pull away, though, from the invitation to meet, to, for God to meet them, the greater our fears happen, our hurts, our efforts, and so on and so forth. Um, but we, when we also see sin in terms of morality, or right or wrong, good or bad, then we're really just focused on the behavior, and it's actually just judgment. And so um, instead of actually looking at the heart of it, so there's actually a wonderful, there's actually, again, there's a wonderful need deep within, and it's essential to draw that out and help the other, including ourselves, to connect to it. And that when we do, in that process, it's going to stir up a lot of stuff, hurt, pain, anger, all stemming out of this relational wounding of needs not being met. So sin is really about relational connection the bond between us and God that leads to an otherworldly satisfaction. Like, that's what sin, our behavioral attempts, are trying to meet that, trying to get that. And so, thankfully, we're given the freedom 
to develop an awareness of this by stepping into it on our own accord, our own volition, and it not working out. And then this beautiful, loving God shows us, I think this is what you were trying to meet. So, um, just some closing thoughts. This has been kind of a long podcast here. But some closing thoughts. Uh, Last year, I took some risks in dating. And I talked about this. But I recall a particular moment when I was interacting with a woman on a on a dating site that I swore I'd never do, but I ended up doing. And we really just, we honestly had just begun a conversation. And I noticed that uh, I was the one, it was probably like a day, maybe a day and a half of here and there sporadically conversing back and forth. And of course it had waken up this excitement and like this arousal for, for relationship and, you know, and she was cute and like, okay, I can't miss out on this one. And, you know, all that intensity was coming up in me. And I noticed that I was the one sustaining and fueling the conversation and there was not much engagement on the other end. Well, that interaction ignited this intense need and hunger and to be connected. And I didn't want to lose this opportunity. So I pushed an intense conversation and I asked, I asked if she was actually interested because of her questionable engagement. Like I was the one keeping the ball rolling and I didn't want to do that. But instead of actually allowing distance to happen and continuing to cultivate kind of a fun, lighthearted dialogue, banter, um, I went, I operated in that hunger mode and, and, <laughs> and I don't need to go into detail, but let's just, let's just say it ended in an embarrassingly laughable, uh, three paragraph soliloquy, uh, on my end, defending my actions. <laughs> so, ugh. and, uh, but, and, and uh, so after that though, I felt this incredible radiating, um, heat, this presence of shame. And I began to judge myself, embarrassed over my attempts and, uh, you know, to connect and kind of feel secure. But, but I, I became like, normally I'd really just, I would just hammer myself and I'd fall into depression, but, uh, but I actually became enraged at the shame and judgment and I fought against the pull to withdraw and become depressed. And as I did, I began to reconnect and I fought to get to the heart of it. And, and, and when I did, what I encountered was really kind of my immature efforts. When I say immature, I just mean kind of not developed, younger, um, uh, efforts of trying to nourish a God-given need to be in a relationship. And when I arrived at the core of this in myself, I, I felt compassion. I laughed. I gained greater understanding. Um, and it was important and necessary in my growth. And it taught me to embrace the mystery, the trust, and confidently operate out of my, my true self, my authentic self. And, uh, you know, and, and I could laugh at it. And I, I learned from that of, oops, yeah, probably would have been great to just have some more kind of fun conversation. And if she doesn't respond back, okay, you know, it is what it is. But, um, and so, but I'll end on this, on this one note, is that partaking of the fruit is a necessary endeavor to living freely and fully. And everyone, may you experience um, that wonderful, loving presence of God and, uh, and may you learn from the fruit that you take, uh, and what it's really leading you towards, um, either away, disconnected or closer and connected. So 
I bid you farewell. Till next time.